0: Hey kiddos, you are dismissed to go to Genesis Kids. We're glad you're in here and singing and seeing this and enjoying our Advent candles, but it's time for you to go hang out in your kids' area. And so, as so they're on their way out. A quick reminder, one quick reminder that we have these available for you. I know, it's, I, I hold stuff up up here on stage knowing that you can't see it, but I have it in my hands, so it's a reminder. Um, one of the things we do every Christmas is try to remind you that this is a great time to share our faith. And an easy way to do this is just to take um, a stack of these cards we have them at all our tables at the welcome table, different places. stack of these cards, these are just invite cards they 're designed for you to uh, invite friends, neighbors, coworkers to both our Christmas services and Christmas Eve. Our Christmas Eve service here is just such a great night. I always look forward to it. Uh, we fill this room and, and it 's a lot of carols and a, a lot of fun and just a great reminder that the best way to worship Jesus through the Christmas, uh, celebration of Christmas, the actual day of Christmas, is to start it with worship. And so uh, just a great way to invite people, so grab these. Uh, like, like, we need to get rid of all of them. And the way to get rid of all of them is for you to walk out, grab a stack, and then figure out who you can give it to. One of the, one of the things I, we always encourage you to do is, like, maybe bake cookies or make something for your um, uh, neighbors. And just, while you take it to them, take one of these cards and just put it in with it, uh, and, and just, uh, or any gifts that you're giving to workers and friends and things like that, just invite them to join us for Christmas Eve. So those are out there. Um, you know, remember Robbie, Bobby McFerrin and his most famous song, right? There we go. We've got to come up. Don't worry, be happy, right? Uh, you know, and, and I read through the song this week. I found it very interesting that the song actually offers very little happiness in it. You know, it's like, if your life is terrible, just suck it up and be happy. And uh, so then we come to Christmas season and everywhere you look, everywhere you look is this one little three-letter word, word, which is the word, and some of you out there read that word and go, nope, Ebenezer Scrooge and the Grinch got it right. Not going to happen. I'm not going to be happy during Christmas, okay? And so you do the whole grumpy thing during the Christmas season. Uh, but that word is out there everywhere you see it, the joy. And, and then we come to our Advent candle, our Christmas lighting, and there's this joy candle. And, and I think one of the reasons we struggle is because this idea of joy and happiness seems to be so elusive in our experience. Um, when we go through hardship, suffering, or just living in the world, joy can be this really weird, elusive thing that I feel like I'm supposed to have, but I don't have it. I don't experience joy. And that's our goal today, is to talk about this. Um, I love Christmas movies. Anybody out there a Christmas movie fan? I was really distraught when I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, and I, I have now, like, if you're into that website, I, I lost all faith in them this week. Because... They have Christmas Vacation listed as the number sixty nine all time Christmas movie, and that is just like like wrong, you know. No way. But uh, my my do- my oldest daughter actually ruined Christmas movies for me because she pointed out something that is actually true. But now I like anytime I watch a Christmas movie, I feel the weight of this: the fact that every Christmas movie is actually the same exact story arc. Do you realize that you have some character who is. Uh, Trying to experience something in Christmas, but something about the whole experience, they think that, that happiness is in something. And, and, and the Christmas moment is either exposing and th- thinks they'll get, they think they'll get that, or it brings them to realize that Christmas is... You know, bah humbug and all this sort of stuff because it's not going to bring this, but they're looking for happiness. For example, here's a few examples of what I'm saying. Here's the first guy. You know who this is, good old Clark Griswold. Uh, He he comes to Christmas determining that happiness comes from the perfect family and then a great Christmas bonus that will put a swimming pool in the backyard. Like, that is the source of happiness. But then the magic fairy Christmas dust gets sprinkled on him, right? There's this moment where the meaning of Christmas and you can almost hear the you know, coming down and, oh, I get the true meaning of Christmas, but he's pursuing happiness in this. The Grinch, his whole his idea is that I will only be happy if everyone stops talking about Christmas and the music would stop playing. Some of you in here, that is your story, right? Uh, I don't want this thing. I will only be happy if, if, if it stops and I don't have to deal with this whole idea. Of course, there's Kevin. He is the ultimate introvert his happiness in Christmas is wrapped up in, in I just wish everybody would just leave me alone, right? I have, I have one of my children. That, that would be their greatest Christmas gift. Just leave me alone, right? Uh, I, that's the way to happiness. And then, of course, you have Ebenezer Scrooge, happiness through wealth and power, control over people. This is what really brings my joy in life. Uh, and, and then, of course, John McClain, who just thinks he'll find happiness if he could just, like, reignite his passion with his wife at a Christmas party. And, and the, the, the magic Christmas dust comes through people falling out of buildings in this movie, but still, it's there. The, the Christmas arc, and those of you who think Die Hard is not a Christmas movie... I'm sorry, you're wrong. Anyway, uh, so, so, you know, but this is kind of the story arc that there's this magic Christmas dust, and at the end, uh, because the Christmas holidays and something good happened, you end up with them embracing their family and friends, and everybody's joyful. We met the meaning of Christmas and all this sort of stuff. And, and we watch these movies, and they're cute, but you know what? They are expressing something that is common to the human experience, and that is the fact that we want to be happy. We want to be happy. Is there anybody in here who who doesn't want to just don't worry be happy? Is there anybody in here who you really aren't longing to be happy in your life? Blaise Pascal, French philosopher, who actually became a follower of Jesus, said this: all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action, of every man, even those who hang themselves. Pascal is saying, listen, everything we do is in some way, shape, or form a step towards an idea of happiness that we've created in our mind, and we are always moving towards what we think will make us happy. Is, is that true? And I think our culture proves that it is. In fact, our founding document, like the America, America's first doc, document said that our rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like it's central to the human experience. Is this the Christian message, though? And here's what happens is that I kind of grew up with this mindset that that pursuit is wrong. That, that being happy is not the goal of our lives. What we really ought to be is miserable in the name of Jesus so that someday we'll be happy in heaven. And, and, and it's, you know, I was around a lot of religious people who, you know, you walk in a room and nobody's smiling. We sing like it's a dirge, even though we're singing songs about joy. We hit Christmas and we have all these songs that are filled with joy. And we, you know, we don't know how to sing them because it's like, is this really what I'm here to do? Listen, let me, let me make what my goal this morning is very clear to you. We have lit the joy candle. And we have lit it because from cover to cover in the Bible, we are told that the pursuit of happiness is a very good thing, that that we should be seeking happiness. But the Bible has a different understanding of how to get there, that that we should be pursuing the greatest happiness in our lives. In fact, we see it in the Christmas story. You know, we're lighting candles and thinking about Jesus' birth, and in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 12, it says, The angel said to them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Um, If you've been around church at all, you know that that is like one of the central passages in the Christmas story. But, But listen to what the angel is pronouncing. Good news of great joy. For all people, are you experiencing that kind of joy, that kind of happiness this morning? Uh, Matthew chapter two, verses 10 to 11 is talking about the, the Magi, the wise men who showed up. And it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. How many of you all would say, the last time I went to church, I rejoiced with exceedingly great joy? My heart was so filled that it wasn't just joy, it wasn't just joy, joy, it was exceedingly great joy. That the experience of my religious experience or my pursuit of Jesus is joyful. Yet, even in the Christmas story, we're saying that these men who traveled long distance following a star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They went into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Listen, I want you to be joyful. I want you to find happiness. And by the way, a lot of times what we do is we'll say, well, listen, happiness is one thing, joy is another. And there is a nuance, like, I think I'm going to get to the point where I, I, I can't agree with that statement, but not really. The words for joy, all the words for joy in the, the Bible are rooted in emotions that are the understanding, the, the, the feelings of happiness, and, and, and the pursuit of that is actually something that is both promised and commanded in the Bible. But like Clark and Kevin, the problem is not that we are seeking happiness and joy. Our problem is where we seek it. And, and, and for us here this morning, for us here this morning, we are steeped in a culture that is just telling us all the time, that the way to find happiness is to look inside and to pursue what's in us. Like, the loudest voice in our culture in this has been Oprah, who says this, the way to choose happiness is to follow whatever is right and real and the truth for you. You can never be happy living someone else's dream. Live your own, and you will for for sure know the meaning of happiness. She is just echoing what every message says, that the way to happiness in our culture, the way to happiness, experiencing happy, happiness, is to be true to yourself, to live out your authentic identity, to, to always follow the mandates of your heart, to look within, and then to find your happiness and the things around you that make you happy. So whatever makes you happy, you go pursue those things, you go experiencing those things, and, and the more you pursue authenticity, the more you experience your own desires, the more you pursue making yourself happy in the things that are just you, your truth, the more happy you will be. But what's happening in our culture is that this model of happiness is literally moving our culture towards greater depression rates, higher suicide rates, greater use of opioids, we have been telling people that if you just live out your own identity and find happiness from within, you will find happiness. And what we are finding in our culture is that the reservoir of happiness in our heart is just a little muddy puddle with nothing to offer. The goal this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we are offering you a, a, a eternal infinite reservoir of joy today. A clean, beautiful fountain that comes from the God of this universe that is a reservoir of joy. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the reminder is that the birth of a baby steps into a world and is the offer that through Christ, one of the greatest places we can see this is in, um, or that I've seen it, is in the story of Pirates of the Caribbean. I got a lot of movie references this morning and I'm sorry if you don't watch movies, you're just gonna have to hang with me. But in, in Pirates of the Caribbean, there's this moment where Barbosa, who's kind of the bad guy in a movie and it's, they're all like cursed men who are like ghosts and zombies and all that kind of stuff, if you know the story, is with this this girl named Elizabeth Swan and she's been captured by them. But what we're finding out is that that they were pursuing a treasure, and their whole life was happiness is in the treasure. If we find this treasure, it will give us everything we want because we will be rich, powerful people. And as he's describing it, what happened to their hearts when they found the treasure? So, so he's talking to Elizabeth Swann, and he says this. He says, find it, the treasure is what he's doing. Find it, we did, and there be the chest, and inside be the gold, and we took them all. All. We spent them, traded them, and fritted them away for drink and food and pleasurable company. But the more we gave them away, the more we came to realize the drink would, would not satisfy. Food turned to ash in our mouths, and the company uh, uh, that, that the world would, would harm or stake. No company in the world would uh, harm or stake our lust. We are cursed men, Ms. Turner. Compelled by greed we were, but now we are consumed by it. Listen, the American dream's version of happiness always ends there. Drink will not satisfy. Food will turn to ash in our mouths. Our lust will never be fulfilled. And into this, the message of the culture around us, even as Christmas, is saying the way to happiness is being true to you but it doesn't work the problem in our humanity does not reside in our desire to be happy god has placed that in you he listen god has placed the desire to be happy in your soul but he did it so that you will pursue joy it's not the desire it's the destination It's not the longing to be happy. It's where you seek to fulfill that longing that is the problem. We seek happiness either from within or in the things that cannot satisfy, and they turn to ash in our mouths. But it is into this universal problem that a baby was laid in the manger, and the cries and the existence of that baby is telling us that there is the hope for true and lasting joy. That's what we long for. That is the answer to our problem. This is the place where we can experience this. And then the the, the, verse is about joy. Like I could just spend all morning running you through the Bible and do a word study of the words joy and rejoice and just run you from cover to cover and show you how this is everywhere in the Bible. It is all through the Psalms, but it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and the the experience in the garden that Adam and Eve have and, and runs all the way through the Bible where there is this promise For people who are in the presence of God, who experience and drink deeply from the well of his glory, that there is joy there. Joy in suffering, joy in hardship, joy in hurting, joy from the fountain that is God's presence and goodness in our lives. And so what we've been doing this this Advent season is we went to one text of Scripture. Two weeks ago, I had the honor of preaching about the, the candle of hope. Last week, Eric did a masterful job. Uh, if you haven't heard it, you need to go listen to Pastor Eric's message on the gift of love and how God's love is available to us. It was just great job, except I do have a little bone to pick. He started talking about peace, and that's next week's sermon, and he already stole some of my thunder. So not cool, okay? Uh, but the, the, fact that the beautiful promise in the candle of love this week we're talking about the, 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 the candle of joy and the joy. But what happens is in this one passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, grab your Bible, find Romans chapter 5. In this one passage of Scripture, what Paul does is he explains to us the, uh, what the results of Christmas have done in our experience. For those who know Jesus... Uh, because Christ has come into the world, the gospel is true, the good news of Jesus has, has been proclaimed and we have believed it. So he's speaking to followers of Jesus and he is saying, as a result, all these promises that were part of the Old Testament promises wrapped up in the coming of a baby are now true for us because we have embraced and trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so in one passage, what you see is the themes of love Joy, peace, and hope woven together as Paul says, this is what is happening in our lives right now, this moment. Not, yes, he looks forward to the coming of the final day in heaven, but he literally says this is true now for those of us who believe in Jesus. And so chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we're reading this every week uh, during, during the Advent season, but we're pulling the themes. And so you'll see the word rejoice Three different times. Focus on that. That's where we're going this morning. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who have been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for the righteous person, though for perhaps a good person one would dare to even die, but... God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received Reconciliation. The whole argument that Paul is making here is since we've been justified, we now have hope, love, the love of God, the joy, uh, and the ability to rejoice, and the peace of God. And, and, and it all is because we've been justified. And what Paul does is he says there are two primary causes for justification. Primary cause one, number one is therefore since we've been justified by faith. Verse one, therefore since we've been justified by faith. Or in other words, we come into a right relationship with our creator and we are forgiven of our sins and we are made right with him. We are made righteous, made right with him when we place our faith and trust in what Jesus did rather than trusting in our own pursuits, our own self, our own desires. Listen, everybody in here, at some point in time, we were on our own self-salvation experiment. We were, we were in some kind of path that said I will find, find salvation, find happiness and joy through my own pursuits. And trusting in Christ is when I turn from me and I look to Christ and I see that the birth of the baby ends up with him living his life, dying on the cross for my sin, and that he is now my Lord and Savior. I give myself to him and I trust in him. And what the Bible's teaching us here is that I am made right with God because of what Christ did and my faith in that rather than anything I do. And so one causes my faith in Jesus, but then he goes down a little bit later in the passage, he says, we have been justified by his blood. In other words, what actually makes us clean, what actually makes us right with God is not our faith, it is what our faith is in. And our faith is in the fact that Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. That the Christmas story starts with a cute, cuddly baby in a manger, and a sweet story about joy, and love, and angels, and shepherds, and all that kind of stuff, and I love it yet that 's not the end of the story. The story is going to take us through a hard life where Christ is full of joy. We were told in Hebrews that it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame and Christ died, and he shed his blood for our forgiveness and offers everything in salvation and Then he rose again three days later and is victorious. He is defeated. Death, hell, and the grave. Last Sunday afternoon, we were at a football game. And my son, who's a Green Bay Packers fan, we went out of town, went to church early Sunday morning, and went to Soldier Field in Chicago. We were watching the Bears versus the Packers. And my son is a Packers fan. He was one of about ten Packers fans that were in our section, including the Grinch, who was sitting right behind us, who apparently is a Packers fan. Dude dressed in the whole Grinch costume. I turned around and I was like, oh, the Grinch, he's here. Ah. And early in the game, the Bears were getting, they were kind of having their way with the Packers. Packers were not good. And so I looked over and my son was a little grumpy. Wasn't happy. Meanwhile, Bears fans were talking trash like crazy. And I kept thinking, you, you guys do realize, now if you're not a sports fan, this analogy, like movies and sports, sorry. <laughs> but the Packers have won like 21 of the last 25 games against the Bears. And I was sitting there thinking, like I was thinking in my head, I don't know that you should be talking trash to a Packers fan right now. But my son was just kind of hanging with it. It was fun, we were having a good time. But then in the fourth quarter, Aaron Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers like this great quarterback and they came back and Packers won. And now the Bears fans were not happy, but the Packers fans were going crazy. They were joyful. Why? Because they were winning. Now watch this. What does this have to do with anything? Joy. The the central point of joy is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, the resurrection is proof that you win. We are joyful because there is victory in what Christ has done. And so what happens in the text, the text is saying Christ died for our sins, we trust in Christ, but, but his death and resurrection has accomplished everything for us so that love and hope and Joy and peace are all available to us. And we experience this through Christ, in Christ, because of Christ. He is our all in all. It is Paul reminding us in this great passage that there is this beautiful, rich, infinite happiness available in Jesus. But it is in Jesus, not in ourselves. We're justified by faith, not our own goodness and our own pursuit. And so... um, Three times he says, listen, rejoice. We rejoice. And one of the things that's interesting as we read the idea of joy in the Bible is that the idea of having joy and rejoicing is like a wheel. So, so on one level, we rejoice because in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, he has filled our hearts with what fully satisfies us and we experience Joy. Now, can I get an amen from a couple of people who have joy in their lives? Amen. Right? He fills our lives with joy. And so what do we do when we have joy? We rejoice. But the wheel has to keep spinning because there are times where I don't feel joy. And what the Bible keeps saying that is in those moments, in hardship, suffering, in, in my, my longings, in my hurts, and my pains, the proper response is the worship of Jesus and rejoicing in those moments. And it even says we rejoice in our sufferings in this text because that wheel has to keep spinning. I have joy, so I rejoice. But I must rejoice so that the joy, will I will experience that joy and it will flood my soul. And that what we need in our Christian lives is to keep coming back, getting away from the muddy like the little mud puddle in our hearts that has nothing to offer but a little shallow drink of nasty joy and we need to keep running to the deep fountain of grace and goodness and experience there a true and lasting joy that can't be taken away. And when we start turning back to the mud puddle, what we need to do is lift our chin and rejoice because we need to remember that God is good. He is for us. He has won our victory and and we can have joy. And, and what happens is you watch Christians, like on one level, I've been to a lot of churches where I'm like, man, the whole church looks like they've, they've been singing, or, or been, been sucking on green persimmons. They're singing joyful songs, and they are just all just like, oh, life is terrible, I'm miserable, I can't move on. And that should not be how it is in the house of God, We're the people of God. We should be people who are fighting for our joy. Your pursuit of joy... Happiness is a good thing. It's not that you're pursuing it, it's where. And this is what, why we light the Advent candle, and it's what we find in this text. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to, just looking at this text, actually, where Paul three times says rejoice, I want to talk to you about um, why this Advent candle of joy is beautiful and, and, and how the gospel causes us to both rejoice and experience joy. And in doing so, I'm also going to bring up some barriers to your joy. But the first barrier to your joy, before I even get to this, is if you don't know Christ, like if you're just kind of looking and trying to figure this Christianity, this invitation to joy begins with your justification. You're being made right with God by trusting in Jesus, turning from yourself and trusting in Him. We are not here offering you a joy outside of that, it doesn't exist. It's Barbosa. The joy is from running to Jesus, the baby in the manger who died on the cross. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, this just feels weird and foreign to me, we want to have a conversation with you and tell you what it means to trust in Jesus so you can experience forgiveness and grace and goodness. But for those of us who know Jesus, I just want to remind you what the sources or the beauty of this joy is in your life. And the first thing we find in the text is that we rejoice in grace. We, we rejoice in grace. Look at verse 2 again. He says, Therefore, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. He's saying, Listen, it is understanding of grace, it is access into grace that we stand. We, like, There's some connection here between grace and the experience of our joy, the experience of our ha- uh, happiness. Why are we unhappy? Why no joy? And, and the truth of the matter is often we don't experience joy because we have this belief that we deserve better than what we're getting. I'm not happy because I think... God should do this for me, or I would have this in my life if I just could have obtained this. I, I think I deserve better than what I have. And what grace is a reminder of is that everything I have in my life that is good, whether that is the tangible gifts of my family and my friends and my church family, uh, whether that is the tangible gifts of, of drink and, and food and the beauty of creation, or if it is the intangible gifts of, of, of my um, salvation and redemption. And the presence of God, no matter what it is, they are gifts from God's grace. I think I deserve better. And the first barrier that happens that clogs up our joy is we start thinking, listen, I deserve more. I deserve better. And we forget that everything we have is from God. Grace. Grace just means that God giving us what we don't deserve. It is the pouring out of His gifts and His love on people who don't deserve it. The text gets us there. It says, Listen, while we were still sinners, like some people might die for somebody who's a good person, but we were a hot mess. We were a wreck. And by grace, By God's good, merciful grace, he has poured salvation out to those of us who believe. It is grace that we are saved. Romans 8 tells us, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians 2 says that it is by grace we are are saved. It has nothing to do with me. That justification is a free gift of God. And, and, And what happens is that we begin to turn to find happiness in, in, in things that we think we deserve instead of turning to the source of grace and finding our happiness in the grace of God. And so here's what he says. We're saved and therefore we have access to this grace. It's been showered on us. And, and the first step to experiencing joy is to pause and go, every good thing I have in my life came from God. And I'm joyful because it's all grace. It's all his mercy. It's all his goodness. And, and that kind of posture then takes every gift that I have in my life and it reorders it in its right place. I don't sink my fingers into the gift. I realize they are from God and, and on the basis of grace. I can be thankful rather than controlling of those things. And so he says we rejoice because of grace. Second, he says we rejoice at glory. Again, look at verse 2. I love this phrase. He says, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope of the glory of God, the Westminster Catechism tells us that that our chief end, our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever that the The catechism is saying something that if you 're familiar with the author John Piper, he picks up on and, and basically tells us. That the way we glorify God is by enjoying Him forever. That that God is most glorified in you and me when I am most joyful and satisfied in Him. He says we rejoice in the glory of God. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, it literally means that, that we begin to experience and find beauty in God's glory. Now, God is intangible, so like, how do I see his glory? Well, I have to, first of all, keep reading the scriptures and seeing the story of Christ and being brought near to him so that my heart begins to taste and see and experience this grand glory of God. But as I taste and see that, then I will start seeing his glory displayed in everything else around me, and I begin to see his majesty and greatness, and now my life begins Uh, Becomes a place where, first of all, God's glory invades my soul. I am awed by my own smallness and God's greatness, his glory, his majesty. And as I do that, my life then becomes a mirror that reflects that glory. And the greatest way the glory of God is reflected in our lives, we glorify God when our happiness is in him. Not in the gifts that he gives. One of the great barriers, especially in our experience, to to our experience of happiness and joy, is that we are pursuing joy in things that are way too small. The American dream is not a problem because it's too big. The American dream is a problem because it's piddly you were made to find joy in the glory of God. Let me prove prove this to you. Do you enjoy being on the shore of the ocean? Do, Do you enjoy standing on the top of a mountain? A great, like a huge mountain that has peaks everywhere standing there. Do you have joy when like, if you've been to somewhere like the Grand Canyon, do you find joy there? And the answer for all of us is, yeah, when I've had those experiences, I've had joy. Why? I guarantee you, you did not go, let me explain. Like, you're not standing on the top of, you know, a mountain in Colorado that's still snow-capped in the middle of summer. That's, that's been my experience. And looking out over other mountains, and you don't stand up there and go, man, I am awesome. Look at how huge I am. It's all about me. Woo! My joy in those moments is being at awe, something that is so much greater than me. I see myself in light of an ocean that I can't see anything past the blue. A, a, a place where, like, I look down, it's a mile deep, and it's gloriously grand. A mountain that just is massive. There's something about glory that, that causes my heart to explode with Joy. And what we're saying to you this morning is that even those moments compared to the glory of God, like all they're doing is is displaying the glory of the God who made not just mountains and, and canyons and oceans, the God who made the entire universe, made you and me, and he did it all as a display of his glory. We are satisfied in Christ when we see the glory of God and we glorify him. It's always the pursuit of this, something greater, seeing the glory of God and living for the glory of what God gives that will bring us joy. God is most satisfied and glorified in us when we are most satisfied, joyful in in him. And so John Piper says it this way in his book, Hunger for God. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. We were made to find joy in the glory of God. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, we rejoice in the hope of that glory, that that glory is on display around us. It becomes on display in us, and we will rejoice. We will find joy. We will express that joy. The wheel will turn where we will both experience the joy of this glory, and we will rejoice in the glory of God, and that glory of God will be on display. And so um, we end up realizing that the things that we think are so important Listen, it's like the Grinch who just looks at him and says, you know what? All these presents that you think make you happy in the world, they're going to end up in my trash, right? I'll never forget my daughter when she was, my oldest daughter when she was a, a, a you know, toddler age and there was something she wanted for Christmas. I can't remember even what it was, but it was something that came in a big box because here's the remembrance I have. She'd been asking for it and so it was what she got for Christmas, Right? thinking, hey, she will love this. And she spent all of Christmas morning playing where? In the box. And I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. You're settling for the box. That is us. You were made to experience the glory of God. If you're not experiencing joy in your life, it may be because you are settling for things that are way too small to give you that joy. You were made to experience and display the glory of God. Third, Paul tells us that we rejoice in his gifts. So we rejoice um, in uh, the grace of God, his merciful, providing our redemption and all the good gifts in our life uh, just purely because he loves us. We rejoice at the glory of God, his majesty and his wonder, and we also rejoice in the gifts of God. Verses three and four, he talks about that we rejoice in our suffering. Not only this, more than this, we rejoice in our sufferings. That just feels weird. Wait, I rejoice because I'm going through hardship? Because I'm su- That doesn't feel right. Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given for us. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, what happens when you're a follower of Jesus and you're experiencing the glory of God and you understand like where you are, then you come to these hard, hard moments in life and you are able to rejoice. And it's those points where maybe you don't feel happy, yet you can still rejoice because you know that it doesn't have the final say, that there is mercy and grace and goodness in our lives and that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so what becomes a barrier to our joy, is we come to these moments and then all of a sudden we stop seeing the glory of God. We start, stop, start thinking I deserve better. And then all of a sudden we stop actually trusting God in the moment. We, we pursue other things. We, we, we start living in disobedience to God. We start pursuing our own pathway again. And, and all of a sudden the suffering just compounds itself. And Paul says the path to our Joy is to rejoice in our sufferings because we know that when we are trusting in the Lord, when we're running to him and holding on to him with all that we have. What happens first of all is that God takes those moments and transforms our character. That growth, being being changed, happens through through the fire of hardship. And that at the end we know that there is a process of even burning out of me what is in me that keeps me from experiencing joy in the suffering. So we rejoice. This is like a, an ongoing word that, that, you know, count it all joy, James 1 says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I mean, it's kind of the same, and we just see this over and over, that that when you're going through hardship and suffering, you need to know that God is sovereign, he is in control, he loves you, he is for you, and that your response to suffering is not to turn back to your internal reservoirs of, of resiliency, it is to turn and just keep trusting the Lord, walking in faith and obedience and holding on to him. And so we rejoice. But he goes on to say, it's not just that we rejoice in that. What we do is we rejoice is that, that what really happens in those times is that we really deeply experience the fact that God pours out his love on us by giving us the Holy Spirit. We don't walk through any suffering alone. I rejoice and find joy because I'm never running solo in life when it's hard. There is goodness and grace from being, God being present in our life. And so we rejoice, we find joy in his gifts, and we keep trusting in God in these moments. And the last thing I'll tell you about joy that's in this passage is that he tells us we need to rejoice in knowing God himself. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, not rece- through whom we have re- uh, received reconciliation. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've been reconciled to God. We have been brought to him. We've been placed in a right relationship with him. What he's saying in the later part of this text, and I'm just going to tell you what it says because this is what next week's sermon is about. Is the fact that in Christ, in the coming of Jesus, what happened is we were alienated and separated from God. We were enemies. Yet because of Christ, we trusted in him. God has brought us close and made us family. We've been, the relationship between us and God has been renewed. And he says we rejoice because we know God. We have a relationship with our Creator. The God who created heaven and earth has come near to us. He came near to us in the person of Christ. He came near to us through uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He has come near to us through our local church who brings His presence close as we are with Him. He comes near to us being present in our suffering and our hardship. He is near. And we rejoice. Why? Because no matter what's going on in the world, I know God. I experience Him. I love Him. He loves me. And we can rest and rejoice, find joy. Joy in knowing God. Our problem, we lack joy because we think our joy is in the gift. Whatever the gift is, whatever you think is most important in your life, and you say, listen, I'll just have joy if I get that. I'll just have joy if God will do this. I will just have joy in this. And what we're actually declaring at that moment is, my joy is in the gift, not the giver. And mom and dad, if you're a parent in here, you know that does not work on Christmas Day. I want my kids to really enjoy the unwrapping of presents. I want them to get what some of the things they've asked for. Probably not everything, but some of the things. I want them to celebrate and enjoy those things. We had a birthday party for my granddaughter yesterday, and Ma and Pops were able to give her a little trampoline. It brought great joy to see her bouncing on that trampoline. I want her to enjoy, I want my kids and grandkids to enjoy the gifts that we give. But it's an avenue to having the desire to crawl up on my lap and and know how much I love them and to know me. The the gifts of a, a good drink and a piece of steak, the gifts, the gifts of even your Christmas tree, and the smell of evergreen in your house are beautiful thing, and they are gifts. But we will never make sense of those gifts and find joy in them until we actually roll those up into the praise of the giver and to live in his presence. Psalm 1611 makes it just real clear. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist is just saying what I've been trying to say all morning. Run with all your might for happiness. The problem is not that you desire to be happy. The problem is that you're trying to fill that desire in a place that can't do it. Run to that infinite reservoir. And so what the Christmas story is telling us is that this God has come to us he has made this type of joy accessible. It's why we light a candle. It's why Christmas, the word is everywhere, because um, if we peel back all the traffic and all the things, you know, even the, the, the magic pixie dust in the movies isn't enough. It is not till till we drink deeply from the grace and the beauty of our God through his Son Jesus Christ that we're really going to know, it, going to know joy. And then when we know it, the world can't take it away from us. And so, so in Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah is talking and says, listen, don't boast in your riches. Don't boast in your power. Don't boast in, in your, your skills. Don't, if you're going to boast, boast in this, that you understand and know me, declares the Lord. That's, that's what we boast in, that I know God. That's the pursuit of our life. And, and so this is the goal, the pursuit of happiness even our first document Americans makes this promise is, is just central to what we are about. Jesus was born, though, into the dumpster fire of the human pursuit of happiness. And into that night, the angels announced good tidings of great joy for all people. It's an amazing irony that the people in the story find their joy by looking into a manger that was a cradle. And see seeing their infinite glory. It, like you get that. Why, why do did the wise men rejoice with exceedingly great joy? It's because they looked into this, the, 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 the eyes of this child and realized they were gazing on infinite glory. And they rejoiced with an exceedingly great joy. And that's a crazy irony in this story, but it's the only source of joy for us. In the end, it is the only joy found. In knowing God, experiencing his glory, that will give us the hope to rejoice in our suffering, to sing from the pits of darkness, and to joyfully accept the plundering of our own goods and wait for the better promise, which is told of us in Hebrews 10. And so there's a stark contrast here between what the world is telling you you should pursue and and, and where actual joy comes from, and the promise of joy is there. I've never seen this more fully than by going to Haiti. Like if, if there was any place in the world where the pursuit of joy through things and my own accomplishments, the, this internal pursuit—if there's any place where we ought to be finding that, that ought to be finding joy, it's here. And like literally, Eureka, West County, St. Louis, because we we have it all here. And so I hop on an airplane and go to Haiti, and I am, am among people who have nothing. But the contrast between the joy of even West County churchgoers and these people in dire poverty marked me. There is a joy, a smile I'll never forget. And I've told you this story before, but I'll never forget. And I kind of close with this. About this woman who was so excited she was going to take us to her home. And so on a Sunday afternoon, we'd had church that morning with them, and just watched this whole service erupt in joy. And these people who who literally, when I say some of them were living on a can of peanut butter and a bag of rice for two weeks. And she was the most like literally contagious joy. Every time I was around this woman, like she's just smiling, she's hugging, she's worshiping. Like everything about her said joyful. And she wanted us to come see her house. And so we uh, walked down a street and around a corner, and this woman actually lived in a tent city um, at the time. And, and we're walking up to see her, and off in the distance, she was a little bit late getting there, so we got to where her house was, and we kind of stood around it, and already I was feeling this tension of what I was looking at and this contrast. She sees us from like, you know, 100 yards away, and this woman who was like in her 70s starts running towards us full bore running, bare feet, old clothes, ragged clothes. She's running towards us with this big smile on her face. She wrapped her arms around me and just started saying in in Creole, welcome. Our translator's explaining what she's saying. We're like, we're so happy to be here. And she's like, I am so excited to show you my home. And she shows us this house that literally was four poles made out of pieces of, of tree with tarps. And she had taken tarps and made two little rooms that are no bigger than the stage I'm standing on here, this part of the stage. Yet she had a joy that I rarely see here. Good news, great joy, all people. It's available in Christ. But we need to get rid of some of the barriers to experiencing that. And so Christmas is this beautiful reminder of the vast reservoir of joy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a few more songs. But sing rejoicing. We're going to have a moment here in just a minute where we're reminded that one of the great ways to experience joy is is through um, giving and there will be a video here in just a minute reminding you of the opportunity to be part of the advent conspiracy offering our uh desire to be generous to take the gospel to the nations during this holiday season as you watch that rejoice in the fact that the gospel has made it to you and resolve that one of the pathways to happiness for you is for you to be generous so other people can hear the message of the gospel uh, we will rejoice by leaving here like just Realize that the path to joy is knowing Jesus and drinking deeply from his goodness and grace. And what you will find is you will find that it's enough. It's enough. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. And I praise you for good news of great joy, which is for all people. And I thank you that the Savior was born. And as a result, we can have justification. We can be right with God. And being right with God, we can experience true and lasting joy that will change everything in our lives. So help us today to seek that joy, to pursue happiness, but pursue it in you. And Lord, give us in this family of faith, deep and lasting joy. In your name I pray. Amen.